You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm chatting with Rob Lawless. Rob is a Philly-based influencer who loves getting to know new people. He loves it so much that for the past three years, Rob's full-time mission has been to meet as many people as he possibly can. His goal is to spend one hour with 10,000 different people via his project, Rob's 10K Friends. In this episode, he'll share how after graduating Penn State and bouncing around a couple of nine to fives, he didn't feel like he was on a meaningful path. And I remember thinking to myself, if I was making double of what I'm making now, would I be any happier? Because that was really the only thing that was motivating me at that time. And the answer was no. So as he searched for a purpose, he realized something special about his love of connecting with people. My ability to meet people is what will take me to where I want to be. When I wrote it, I had no idea what I meant by that. But when I looked back on it, it was kind of a light bulb moment. Why don't you take this truth about yourself and apply it to this idea that you had come up with and just try it? One became 10, 10 became 100, and as of now, he's met over 3,000 people from coast to coast. I just think to myself, how did I get here? I had this idea that I put in an iPhone note, and now I'm flying above the coast of San Diego. You'll hear how he got there, what he's learned by getting to know 3,000 people, and how Philly has played a role in Rob's 10K Friends. Now, on Philly Who. Stay tuned. So if you've lived in Philly at any point over the past three years, there's a really good chance you've heard of or even met Rob Lawless. And this isn't just because he's such a socially fluid, personable guy. It's a matter of statistics. Rob has met so many Philly people. Odds are that you, a friend or a friend's friend has been one of them. But on the off chance, this is the first time you're hearing about Rob's 10K friends. I'd be willing to bet that if you scrolled back through his feed of the 3,000 plus people he's hung out with, you'd recognize one of them. And while this six degrees to Rob's 10K theory is only going to become stronger as time goes on, this idea of having an insanely woven web of a network is nothing new to Rob, as he was the guy that everyone knows years before having the idea for this project. You see, Rob grew up in Norristown as the youngest of three children. When he was in high school, both of his older siblings went to Penn State. So, as he spent time visiting Happy Valley with his family and getting to know campus life, he fell in love with the atmosphere. He would go on to attend Penn State himself and to study finance. There, he'd be involved with tons of organizations and would meet a lot of people. He would go on to get his finance degree and secure the holy grail of entry-level corporate jobs. He became a consultant at Deloitte. Out of most of my friends, I had probably the highest salary. I had great benefits. I was on track for Deloitte to pay for my MBA. And so from paper standpoint, it was a great opportunity and I was in a really good place. And in my mind, I think I was kind of checking off the boxes of the traditional life path. So girlfriend, check. Corporate job, check. Someday we'll get engaged, we'll get married, we'll get a house, kids, etc. I started August of 2013 at Deloitte. And by October, I was thinking of ways of how can I escape this corporate life path? And I remember thinking to myself, if I was making double of what I'm making now, would I be any happier? Because that was really the only thing that was motivating me at that time. And the answer was no. 
After this realization, rather than to up and quit without a plan, he approached changing his life in true Rob style by remaining calm and by meeting new people. Not with any particular goal in mind or any ulterior motive, just to meet. I was working in Kentucky on a project. I was there for a total of four months. And one of the guys that I worked with, I remember talking to him about my interest in entrepreneurship. And he recommended that I get in touch with his friend, Ben, who worked for this company called RJ Metrics in Philly. So he put me in touch with Ben. And I remember talking to Ben on the phone and being like, hey, man, I don't want to join your company. I'm just interested in your path because I just wanted him to know that I wasn't trying to sell myself to him. I just wanted him to know that I was trying to learn from him. That combined with me looking more into their company, I really liked what I saw. And so one thing just kind of led to another. I ended up interviewing with them. They had told me, you'll hear by the end of the week, we'll let you know. And at the time I was in New York City on a project and my girlfriend at the time lived in New York City. So I was in no rush to get out of there. But I checked TechCrunch one day and the headline was like, RJ Metrics announces Series B of 16 and a half million. And so I shot Ben and the VP of sales an email just to say, hey, congrats on the, the new funding. And they responded and they said, hey, Rob, it's, it's time to come join us. And so. <laughs> now, is it true that you had to pay to leave Deloitte? Yes. How does that work? When you joined Deloitte, or at least when I joined, I was given a $10,000 sign-on bonus. If you stay for a year, you get to keep the first 5000 If you stay for two years, you get to keep the second 5000 And I left after a year and three months. So I had to give that 5000 back to take a pay cut to go to RJ Metrics. One of the things I've learned about myself is that I make big life decisions on a whim. And so I didn't put a lot of weight into paying that money back because I was more interested in the long-term path of, I'm going to get involved with this startup early on hopefully grow with them. They just got all of this money. This is a space that I know companies like Deloitte are interested in. And so I just was more interested in the long term of, if I get in now, down the road, I think that $5,000 will be a negligible amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So has that idea that you make big life decisions on a whim treated you well over the years? Like you, you seem to be very comfortable with that fact. That would terrify me. <laughs> I think so. And it's part of my personality too. I'm probably one of the most mellow people that I know or that, that you may meet. And I'm, I'm very go with the flow. And I think it's just because I trust myself. And a lot of that was built in my time in college. I did well academically. And a lot of that was because I trusted in the answers that I was putting on these tests. And I trusted in the fact that I could go out on the weekends and still get my, my work done. And so I kind of built that up over time. So fast forward, RJ Metrics was acquired by Magento in July of 2016. So I had worked for them for a year and nine months and was laid off at the end of June 2016. Oh, wow. You were laid off after the combination or the uh, acquisition. Right. Wow. Right. And Bob and Jake were really good about being transparent about the whole situation. So it wasn't a surprise. It was something that I knew was coming. And I had started this project to spend one hour with 10,000 different people in November of 2015. So I'd been at it for eight months at that point. Wow. And I knew that it was what I wanted to go into because I was enjoying it. People were starting to reach out to me. The month leading up to me being laid off, I was covered by like five different small press sources here in Philly. 
And when I was laid off, there was no doubt in my mind. I was just like, okay, we'll go into this path now and try to make this work. So yeah, let's, let's go back to, do you remember the first moment that you had any sort of semblance of this 10K idea? Yes, it was January of 2014. And I know that because I have it written down in my iPhone notes. And for me, that now that's kind of an artifact. But yeah, it was interesting because I was still at Deloitte at this time. And this was just one of my many ideas that I thought would be a potential path of escaping the corporate life. At that time, it looked like me wanting to meet 10,000 people for 10 minutes at a time in a year span. Is that what the note says? Yes. And then it goes into like 40 people a day or 200 people a week or something like that. In my mind, I was going to be meeting people seven hours a day because I thought that's how long a workday is or even shorter than a workday. But I didn't account for you'd have to travel, you'd have to eat, you'd have to go to the bathroom. And so it just didn't work out. And it also was not a great idea at that time because it wasn't coming from a place of authenticity. It was coming from a place of me wanting to take a shortcut into not having to work. And so... It sat in my iPhone notes for almost two years until it came back up in September of 2015. So I had left Deloitte to go to RJ Metrics and I was writing these little journal entries to myself called Thoughts on the Way to Success. And I just thought this would be really cool if I'm successful someday. (laughs) And you could like give it to Forbes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I was writing these notes and What I had written is, my ability to meet people is what will take me to where I want to be. And when I wrote it, I had no idea what I meant by that. But when I looked back on it in September of 2015, it was kind of a light bulb moment in my mind to, why don't you take this truth about yourself and apply it to this idea that you had come up with and just try it. And so at that time, I started emailing and messaging people on Instagram saying, hey, I have this idea. I'm trying to spend an hour with 10,000 different people just to see what comes of opening doors for no reason. Do you want to be one of the first 10 people? And somehow people agreed to do it. So the first person was Jim Brady of BillyPen.com. And when I sat with him, we met at Cozy in Center City. And he said to me, so what am I, the 1,000th or 2,000th person? <laughs> and I just responded, no, dude, you're number one. <laughs> and so, <laughs> How did he react to that? Was he surprised? I think he was just like, oh, okay, gotcha. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably thought he was doing something much cooler than just being the first person. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoyed that experience. And then I, I just kind of continued finding people. And I met one person, Jim Brady, on November 11th of 2015. So almost three years ago. Oh, wow. He was the only person I met that month. And then I met four people that December, four people that January, five people that February. And then it was like 10 people, 18, 20. And later that year, I had met 98 people in one month. Wow. Yeah. So for the first eight months, you were doing this while still at RJ, while still with a full-time job. Right. So before you got laid off, did you start to feel this project actually pull you into itself full-time or was it just sort of a natural transition once, you know, the full-time job went away? I would say it pulled me, I felt it pulling me in terms of passion. I remember G-chatting with my older brother. This was April uh, of 2016, a few months before I was laid off. And 
I remember telling him, I think I need to do this full time. I think if I meet 50 people by the end of June, I'm going to take it full time. And he just told me, dude, you can't do that. You need <laughs> money. You need to have to be able to support yourself. And I just told him, if I do do it full time, do you have my back? And he said, of course. And so, yeah, at the end of June, I had met over 100 people and had just started getting that press and was laid off. And so the option that I had was go into this project that I'm really enjoying or find another full-time job. I think about it in my mind as lanes. When I started my career, I was in the left lane of a three-lane highway and I just didn't feel comfortable there. And I made a switch to RJ and it felt a little bit better in this middle lane. And when I started doing this project full-time, it was as if I had found the lane I was supposed to be in the whole time. And now I feel like I've just been cruising in that lane ever since in terms of enjoyment, along with a lot of cycles of confidence and doubt and everything that goes with starting your own thing. Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting to me is with you is the dichotomy between, so you were type A, right? So you did well enough in school to get a job at Deloitte, which being a consultant at Deloitte right out of school is no small feat. And then you were in sales at a startup, which again, startups are demanding and you know you need to be type A, very organized, have KPIs, things like that. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you're very go with the flow and, and sort of low key in a really cool way. So do you have, do you like manage this project as you did, you know, your BA job or the sales job? And like, do you have KPIs, things like that? Or do you just truly just kind of just let it sail? <laughs> it's a bit of both. I use a lot of the skills that I learned at RJ Metrics. So if you look at my Google Calendar, I have four slots every single day that say open in purple. And then when I schedule a time with someone, I delete the purple one. I put their name. So it's if we're meeting, it's Kevin plus Rob, little line, 10K friends. And then I send you a calendar invite with the location included. And typically people reach out to me on Instagram. So I include your Instagram handle in the description. That way, every night before the next day, I go through, I look at their Instagram handles and send them a message. Hey, Kevin, just confirming we're still on for 11 a.m. tomorrow. Looking forward to hanging. And a lot of that just came from my sales experience of knowing that you can't really trust people to show up when it's something that you're driving. You have to kind of put yourself behind it and make sure that they're in check. And that has served me really well in terms of organization and just keeping a clear mind. But outside of that, there aren't really KPIs. Sometimes I'll set little ones for myself. So this Sunday is the three-year anniversary of me starting this project. Wow. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> and I wanted to get to 2200 because it's just a clean number to hit. I think I'm going to get to 2198. Oh, man. So I'm, I know. Close. But the only reason that I want to get to 2200 is because it kind of lines up. So by the end of the year, I'll probably want to hit I don't think I'll get there in time, but it'd be cool to get to 2,500 just like as a break. But those are just little things I, I do for myself. Um, aside from that, I just try to meet four people a day, every day, and kind of let the project unfold on its own. Yeah. So what number are you at today? Like 2,186 is you. Okay. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I counted. Yeah, of course you count. <laughs> um, do you find that you stay in touch with these folks? Like, 
I, I can imagine you, that you have people hitting you up all the time to hang out because you've made over 2,000 friends. <laughs> right. Is that a struggle at all? I, I stay in touch with people to varying degrees, and I'm pretty natural about letting it kind of play out on its own. Yeah. So when I was out in L.A., one of the guys that I had met the previous summer, the first month I was out there, I was at his birthday party with him, ran into two other people who I had met the previous summer in L.A., who aren't even friends with him. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Man. Yeah. So you mentioned how you had this cycle of doubt and confidence, which is just the journey of the entrepreneur. Um, do you remember the deepest trough so far of doubt in this project? There were a couple both times that I went out to L.A. were kind of deep trials. So I got to L.A. June 10th of 2017. The first week that I got out there, Time Out L.A., a publication in the city, wrote an article on my project. And I had this big bump of people reaching out to me. And I thought to myself, oh, this is crazy. You just go to L.A. and people give you all this attention, <laughs> which I love because it was such a wrong idea. <laughs> and it actually mentally messed me up because I immediately hit and had like this exciting moment for my project. And the rest of the summer was kind of that tapering down and less people reaching out. Towards the end of the summer, it started to catch on with momentum. But then I left and came back to Philly. And the whole time I've been supporting myself through my savings from my first two jobs and then sponsors that I've had. A lot of them Philly-based companies who just wanted to see me continue doing the project. All right, so May was a low point because... I was going to a lot of upcoming weddings and a lot of my money was going to flights for my friends. And my one friend, Nick, was having his bachelor party in Kentucky. So my friend TJ and I, who were staying in LA, were going to fly together to his bachelor party. And I wanted to get the tickets booked because I wanted to make sure we were getting the cheap rates. And so I booked them for TJ and I. And the bachelor party was June 21st, I think. And so May 20th, I get a notification from my phone that says, check in for your flight. Immediately, my heart starts pounding. I'm looking into it. I call them. Turns out I booked them for a month earlier. And I booked it for both me and TJ. So it was $200 change fee per ticket to have it moved to the next thing. And this was already at a, at a time where, in my mind, I was quickly approaching $0 in my bank account. And was stressed about that. But in that moment, what I actually did was I grabbed my video camera and videoed me talking with the guy on the phone to get the change fee set up because I just wanted to record that moment because I knew it was really stressful and something that hopefully I'd look back on one day and say it was just all part of the journey. Have you revisited that moment since? I haven't watched it, but it's still on my camera. And I'll do that every once in a while, just film things that are exciting or I think important turning points. Now you mentioned how you've been out to LA a couple of times. What has spending all that time in LA taught you about Philly? That's a good question. Specifically for me, it's taught me that a lot of what I really care about lies in Philly. That would be for me, my friends, my from Penn State, my family. Also, I have a nostalgia towards Philly. I'm from Narstown originally. So Growing up a Philly sports fan, I've always had a loyalty to this city. And going away, I really missed Philadelphia. And coming back, I kind of feel, it just feels good to walk down the streets 
and it just feels good to see the shops like La Colombe or Saxby's that are familiar or to see familiar faces. That's one thing. And then it's always interesting because out in LA, people always ask, what's the difference between LA people and Philly people? And I think there is a sense of it being true that Philly has more genuine people. I think we're rougher around the edges, but I think in a good way where if someone supports you in something, they truly support you. And if they're forming a friendship with you, it's not out of convenience. It's there because they actually like you. And I kind of miss the grittiness to Philly. That's one of my favorite things about this city. I used to hate passing by on my train in from the suburbs into the city when I was commuting all of the the buildings that would be broken down, the old warehouses and stuff. And then as I've started doing this project and I met people in the Instagram photography community who were taking the most beautiful pictures in these places, it made me see that in a different light. And I kind of appreciated the beauty of it. And I think there is a lot of real beauty to Philly. Whereas my perception of LA sometimes is that there's a lot of glamour. And I think Philly doesn't care about the glamour. That's how I feel about people in Philly. I, I think they don't care about this. Oh, I'm trying to get to this spot and this thing. People in Philly, when I think about them, it's like they live a few blocks down from where their grandparents grew up and their family's been here for a while. And there's sort of that historical people are set here. Deep roots. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're so right. The, it's, it's a lot harder to earn a friendship, I think, because folks are, like you said, a little more rough around the edges. Um, but once you do, it is so powerful and I don't know, it's, it's just more meaningful, I think, you know, that you've gotten past that sort of, <laughs> yo, what are you doing? You know, right. <laughs> and you get into that actual, you know, brotherly love, sisterly affection type thing. So, so far of the 2000 plus folks, what has been the most memorable or surprising encounter that you've had? There's a handful of people who could fit the category of that question. But my go-to is always this guy, Chris, who I was introduced to through a guy named Britt Carpenter who runs a nonprofit called Philly Unknown. And so Britt is kind of uh, intertwined with the Instagram community. Introduced me to Chris because Chris is a photographer as well. And Chris is a hotel concierge. When I was walking up to him, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he probably has a similar background to mine. He's working at a hotel, probably has like a pretty normal life. And he told me he was half German, half South African. And he said that he was raised in Nigeria for the early years of his life. Saw a bit of violence in his time there, which translated into him not being afraid to go up into Kensington to do help with people up there. And when he was 16, he was living in Romania and he came over to the States to go boating on the Hudson with some friends in New York, fell off of the boat, ended up getting run over by the boat, and his legs got sucked up into the engines. And he described it to me as if someone put his legs into a blender. He lost five of six liters of blood on the way to the hospital, technically died and was brought back to life. They gave him a 12% chance of ever walking again and a 15% chance of living and he beat both those odds. He was telling me this as we're walking around the streets of Philadelphia. That just stuck with me in such a huge way because it shaped in my mind what a problem is versus what's an inconvenience. For me, I think, even still, I think 
being stressed about money is an inconvenience because you can go out and fix that. Having your legs chopped up in the engines of a boat is a problem because your friends might not get to pull you out of the water and you may never walk the same way again. And so his story has always, always stuck with me. And I think gaining that type of perspective is one of the greatest values of this project for me. And I think part of the greatest value that other people could get by meeting people for reasons other than business or dating, just to meet and hear stories. So do you find that usually you're just meeting for drinks and coffee? Like, are you tired of drinks and coffee or do you try to do like more alternative things? I would love to, to do alternative things more often. It's kind of a balance because meeting over coffee really gives you the focus of each other where I'm just focused on what you're telling me, your background, your story, because my mind isn't off doing other things. But I have had some instances which I've really enjoyed, including going surfing with people out in California. I played on a softball team for a guy out here with his work league. <laughs> Wait, so <laughs> that was, you didn't know anybody on the team? I think you're just brought in. I was just brought in by him. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How did that even come up? Like, hey man, we should meet. Come play softball with me. Yeah, I think it was kind of... That was it. Yeah. Wow. And uh, part of it is just being open to those experiences and being willing to meet people in that type of setting as well. I've done spin class with people before. The coolest experience that I've had was in San Diego. I had gone down for a weekend and my cousin introduced me to this guy that she knew through email. And when he replied to our email introduction, he said, Hey Rob, sounds like a great project. I'd love to meet. Are you interested in flying in a historical or modern aircraft? And of course I was. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so super pumped for it. I get down to the airfield in San Diego. He drives me over to the hangar where his plane is. And the plane isn't that big. We were just getting out of his car and he made a joke and he said, it's amateur built so you don't have to fly in it if you don't want. Did you know that this was a joke when he said it? It wasn't a joke. That oh. was the thing. Oh, man. Yeah. And literally on the side of the plane, it says experimental. <laughs> did and you get in the plane? I did. No. <laughs> well, you're here. So clearly right. it worked. But um, that was one of those moments where I was thinking to myself, do you get in this dude's plane and you have this awesome experience to talk about and you pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone? Yeah. Or do you get in this dude's plane and you crash and die and you were that idiot that got in the experimental plane? <laughs> do it for the gram. <laughs> right. Um, but that just that happened to be one of the coolest experiences from the project because after I got over the anxiety and sickness of flying in this plane and we're just kind of hovering above the coast of San Diego and this dude had been flying planes for like 15 years, it took him 18 years to build this plane. And so he probably knew it better than most pilots know the planes that they're flying. And it was just an, a beautiful experience. Yeah, that must have been a cool moment once the sort of fear subsided and you could take in what was happening. Right, and that was one of the moments that I've had oftentimes through this project where I just think to myself, how did I get here? I had this idea that I put in an iPhone note and now I'm flying above the coast of San Diego with this dude. And it's kind of cool to kind of reflect on that sometimes. Uh, oh man, that's awesome. So I have a couple questions that I ask every guest just to get sort of different perspectives. What would you say is a common misconception about you? The biggest misconception about me is that I'm interviewing people. It always grinds my gears. And 
I know people, it's such a natural thing for people to think that I'm interviewing people. Because if you look at my account, it's me pictured with a person writing about what I've learned from them. But that has always been a byproduct. I've always just been more interested in getting to know someone in a casual setting. And I think when people frame it as an interview, they kind of miss the point, which is not for me to come and work through a list of questions. It's for me to come and share time with them and establish this foundation that we can then build off of going forwards. I think, again, when they attach that kind of frame to it, it formalizes it. That would give other people the excuse to say, oh, I couldn't do this because he's going out and interviewing people. I want people to feel like they can do this because it's just a casual getting to know the person next to you. And I want people to know that it is just an informal act of two people hanging out. You're just spending time. That's it. Right. Where did the number 10,000 come from? Was that totally arbitrary or? Initially, it came from me wanting to turn people's heads, knowing that it was a big enough number that if I met 10,000 people in one year, that would definitely be interesting to That's people. That's a headline, yeah. Right. And uh, over time, it kind of evolved into a few different things, one of them being Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. So I had read that book when I was a senior in college, and it just stuck with me. And in it, they talk about how the Beatles played essentially 10,000 hours of music together before they're the Beatles that we know today. And it's kind of this idea of you have to put the time in if you want to be an expert at something. And I'm not necessarily trying to become an expert at anything, but I thought committing to something for that long was a really unique idea. And so that was part of it being an hour with each person when I actually started it. One of the other things was I had seen this commencement speech because I Googled how many people does an average person meet in their lifetime. And one dude said in a commencement speech, 10,000 people. If you take this statistic that people are meeting 10,000 people by the time they die when they're older, what if you do that by the time you're 35? Then how does that web of connections serve you from ages 35 to 80, 90 or whatever? And so part of my curiosity is just how will this play out in my life when I have all these connections at such a young age? Yeah. It's the, you're the plane. It's an experiment, right? Exactly. <laughs> let's, see, let's see how high this can fly. Uh, if you could send a message to yourself in the past, whether at Penn State, Deloitte, RJ, the first few you know, people that you were meeting, wherever, butterfly effect aside, so you, know, you don't lose anything, what would you say? I would tell myself that everyone else is just as insecure as I am. And I've learned that through this project. I usually frame it as no one knows what they're doing in this life. We're all just doing the best with the resources that we have. But I think in high school or college, you can question that people know more than you, know their path, have it figured out more than you. And in reality, I think that's just not true. I think all of us are kind of questioning our paths and pushing forward. And the only thing that I think it would do is just make me a more comfortable person back then because it's made me comfortable now. And I think though I don't know the answers of how this project will continue and, and go into the future and be finished, I know that it will. And I know that people who are working on their dreams also don't have all the answers. So I'm in good company in this place of insecurity and not knowing. And I've just learned that from candidly talking with other people. Mm. 
do you tell that to people now? Because I'm sure you get a ton of folks who are, I mean, we're all just terrified of where we're going and think that everyone has it figured out and we're the only ones who don't. So do you impart that lesson or really any lessons on folks as you meet them? And I imagine you probably see the same fears in, in folks over and over again as you're getting to know them. Do you provide any of that perspective? Yeah, I try to as much as possible. For example, yesterday I spoke to this two different high school classes from a high school in New Jersey just through Skype and they kind of asked me what I learned and I told them the same thing. And I think it's really important for those kids of that age because I think they are more vulnerable at that state and maybe more insecure. I, I just try to tell people as much as possible because I think it is a truth that just takes a little bit of the pressure off of yourself. And I think as humans, we're really good at putting pressure on ourselves and creating anxiety and worry that oftentimes doesn't need to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So from your perspective, having grown up around here, you came back a little bit after school. You got to know the community in Philadelphia very, very well. And you've traveled around. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia? I think it maybe isn't specific to Philadelphia. I think it's the biggest challenge everywhere. But I think it applies just as much to Philadelphia is people knowing what's going on around them in terms of the people and what they're working on. I think Philadelphia is a great city and all the people that I know here are really kind people who are working on cool things. And I've grown so much love for the city by knowing that, by knowing that Indie Hall is right here, by knowing like which nonprofits occur in other parts of the cities or businesses. Um, and so I think we're really hurting ourselves by not connecting with each other more often. And I know there's really nothing that I know of in place right now to kind of scale what I'm doing to a city and have everyone in the city do it. But in a dream world of mine, people would be getting to know each other all the time because then you start to see those people on the trains. You start to see them out at restaurants and the city really becomes a home to you and you kind of understand how to work with each other and how to have empathy. I think I always say I don't believe in world peace because I think it's kind of like every action has an equal or opposite reaction. But I do believe in world empathy because I think you can understand someone else's point of view after learning what they've been through. And I know that my meeting people here has just shaped the way that what I'm grateful for, what I've taken for granted, what I think like is important for the city. And if we all were kind of having this perspective, I think it would just make it a little bit more of like a friendly and, and fun place to hang out. And we'd just be less stressed. Right. That whole thing of just getting to know someone candidly. It's interesting because I keep track of my project on Instagram, which is kind of a place where people build anxiety for themselves because they're comparing themselves to other people's lives. I have none of that anxiety towards other people's lives on Instagram because everyone that I've sat down with, we've talked about our insecurities and we've talked about the real versions of ourselves. I think if we all know the real versions of ourselves and are just more vulnerable with each other, then we're just living in a more comfortable place. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's the most encouraging thing you see about Philadelphia? I feel like there's a lot of cool things happening here in terms of all different types of industries. One of my favorite things is the Rec Philly crew. 
I think they're doing really interesting things in terms of music in the creative space. There's also Global Village, if you're familiar with them. Yeah. They, this week's episode is Leonzo. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, he's such a good dude. Yeah. Or RJ was a really good example of a startup that grew and was acquired by a company. I think there's these really cool movements that are happening that 20 years from now are going to be things that people just assumed were always part of the culture, but are starting right now. And maybe I'm biased, but I think the millennial generation is doing a lot of cool things in the city. And just being exposed to those things makes me really excited about the future of the city. Yeah, that's awesome. Finally, if you could get one message to every Philadelphian, whether a tweet, an email, writing in the sky, a billboard, whatever it is, every Philadelphian would be able to ponder a message from you. What would it be? I, maybe I would ask them, like, how well do you know your neighbor to your left and your right? Just to kind of get a pulse on how well we know each other, even just in our immediate vicinity. I think that's one of my favorite things about Philly too, is the kind of the, the pride that people have in their neighborhoods here. And from what I understand, it was back in the day, like everyone knew everyone on their block. And I think now that's changing a little bit to where some people have been on their block for 30 years, some people have been there for one year, and there's kind of a divide between people knowing each other. But I think it'd be cool to ask, how well do you know your neighbor to your left and your right? And if you don't know them, why haven't you gotten to know them? Because even with this project, now approaching 2,200 people, it just started from me meeting one person. And I think for any of those things to happen, if my dream world is for people to know each other more frequently and, and more deeply, it would have to start just in very small pockets. To follow Rob's journey, you can follow him on Instagram at robs10kfriends. The link is in the show notes. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and follow along on social media at podphillywho. And to really help us out, take that 12-minute survey found at podphillywho.com forward slash survey or found in the show notes. This episode was produced by me with assistant production by Angela Gervasi, editing by Max Graham, original music by Lee Rosevere, and artwork by Lauren Carhart. My name is Kevin Schmidlin. Till next week.